0: It was different last week and it'd be different this week. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I gotta I decided to move on out of that message that I'd kinda of got in the middle of and move on to a new part. So tonight's part seven of Lies That Satan uses. How many know he's a slewfoot, a deceiver, an accuser? He's a cheater. He's everything that is wrong Amen. and bad. So, anyway, I want to talk tonight about how he wants to sit with you in high places. Amen? I'll probably read the first couple of verses, Pastor Ken. I don't know, I might read a few of them because they're kind of in the same location there. But... uh the first one we're going to look at is Revelation twelve, ten through 12. And it says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That'll be a glorious day, won't it? When he has no power and authority to operate against us. Well, I mean, we we know Jesus has all authority over him. But it doesn't stop him from acting like he has authority. And the problem is a lot of believers get to listening to his voice, the liar, and when... They listen, then he gets in there and messes their thinking up. And uh, we could call that stinking thinking, I guess. But anyway, he'll lie to you and make you believe something that is not the truth. And so statement number one that I want to give you is this. Our enemy will be cast down with no power to accuse the brothers and the sisters. Isn't that awesome? He has no power to do it at that point anymore. And we need to understand that. Jesus Christ has already paid the price. He's already in charge of the kingdom. And then let's move over to Ephesians 6 and 12. And it says in Ephesians 6 and 12, I could quote it, but let me go to the next scripture here. Oh, it is? Okay. For we do not wrestle. How many have ever wrestled? Me and my cousins used to wrestle. And you know what? You get down on the carpet or on the ground, you wrestle out on the grass, and before you know it, the side of your face is red and your hair is all tussled. At least back then it was. It wouldn't be today. But we'd wrestle... And it's funny because some of my cousins, my dad's brothers' sons, we'd get to wrestle, and then we'd say, "Well, my dad is a better preacher than your dad." And the other one would say, "No, my dad's a better preacher." And then we'd wrestle some more. And we'd go in and we'd ask my Aunt Bobby, you know, Uncle Roy's wife. We'd say, Aunt, I'd say, "Aunt Bobby, who's a better preacher? My dad or Uncle Roy?" she'd say, well, just sit down here. And then she'd pull out some cantaloupe or something, some strawberries, and we'd forget all about it. (laughs) She knew how to be a peacemaker. Can I say it that way? (laughs) But our battle, it says, let's go, let's go, no. I'm sorry. I kind of messed you up, didn't I, Doc? Let's go back to that scripture. I'm not done with that yet. (laughs) For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your battle's not with other people. Although sometimes you'd like to, I'd like to tie a knot in some people's heads. You know, just to be honest with you. You know, you'd like to just, mm, just hit them in the head. You know. I know that's wrong, though. I'm not going to do that, don't worry. But against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, if you applied that to today, in the carnal realm, you'd be looking at the sheriff and and the county officials. Then you'd be looking at the state officials, maybe the National Guard come out. But then you go uh, over that even, then you're getting into Washington, D.C., and the senators and all those, then you got the president. Lord help us. But anyway, you got all these authorities in the carnal, but he says our battle's not with them. It's not with all the flesh and blood. It's these organized crime people in the spiritual realm. <laughs> Satan. He has a whole hierarchy and I tell you what you know some of these little imps and demons we think we're having such a rough time or other people are and they do but if they would realize how powerful the Holy Spirit is that lives in them but a lot of people are not right with God and they've opened the door and allowed the enemy to come in and so he has you know I used to always talk about it being a tohoed You know, if somebody gets their toe on the door, it's cracked a little bit. And he can try to speak through that crack. But then if you open a little bit, he puts his foot in, then you can't close the door. And he can talk more. But then if he gets all the way in, opens the door and comes in, then he's got a stronghold. And he gets in, and he wants to sit down at your table with you. And he wants to fellowship with you, but his fellowship is not a good fellowship. It's a bad one. He comes in with certain things called fear and anger and all kinds of stuff that is not righteous. And it will ruin your life if you let him stay there. And, you know, whenever I do deliverance with people, nine times out of ten... The first demon I deal with is fear. I say, Lord, you bind up that demon of fear and cast it out of this person right now. And because they're afraid. The demon's even a little, if I can say, fearful because it does not want to leave. You know, when the demon has some kind of stronghold, that doesn't mean a person's possessed of the devil and we want to label everything we want to say well is he depressed oppressed impressed or whatever <laughs> uh, but it, it really doesn't matter what it is demons can attach themselves to soul realms you know in a person and so they can be 100% right on and have one area of their life that the, the devil's gotten a hold of you know And what he wants to do is he tries to get you to sit with him in the high places spiritually to put pressure on you to where you'll give in to your weakness. You know, if it's alcohol, then he'll try to put you in a position where you're so stressed out that you'll go to that bottle or something, you know. That's just a typical thing. But he will get in in various ways to try to attach himself to bring you down. You know, and if a person has a soul tie of some kind, then when the enemy attacks and tries to get you, you know, to let him sit in those high places with you, then what he he's done is he'll tear down your thinking to where... You don't think you, you're worthy. You, you don't think you're righteous enough to deal with it. But, you know, you got to put that behind you and turn to Jesus 100%. But the statement, too, is this. Our battle is spiritual as Satan tries to get even with God by attacking us. See, it's not that he just hates you. He hates God more than he hates you. He tries, just like if somebody wanted to get back at somebody, if they could attack their children or something and make it a bad situation, then that can try to mess with your mind, mess you up. i tell you what. I've come unglued a couple of times when people have threatened a kid in the church or something. And that was in my younger years. But... That's one joker, you know. I tried to be nice to him. But he made comments about seeing the underwear lines of the girls under their dresses. He'd say that to people or say it to the girls. I'm talking about 8, 10, 12-year-old girls. Then he got Zach down on the floor in the men's bathroom and tickled him and took his shoes off. And the usher came brought Zach to me. He was crying. And he told me what it was. That was on a Wednesday night. I smiled. I said, bring him here. And I told him, I said, you know what, sir? You got 30 seconds to hit that door. And I had FBI agents come to the church and sheriff's department and highway patrolmen and whatnot. And, uh, you know... I mean, that's one of my top leaders brought him to me. said, this is what's going on. I said, you don't lay a hand on these children. That's over. We're not even going to discuss it. You're going to hit that door in 30 seconds, or you know what? I'm going to pick you up and throw you out that door. Maybe that wasn't too spiritual. I don't know. I'm not even embellishing that. I'm telling you exactly how it was. I weighed about 235 pounds. Well, I still do. What am I talking about? (laughs) But, you know, I just, I said, you're not staying here. And the FBI agent looked at him. He said, you know what? I'm going to escort you out the building right now. Why would somebody do something so foolish? They think they can get in and, oh, you're Christians. We can get away with anything in this place. You're just going to love us, no matter. No. We'll love you, we'll preach to you, but if you get out of line, you're not going to stay. and we know who's behind you. You know? I'm giving you some real life examples. Had another occasion. We had invited this waitress from Golden Corral. Anybody ever ate at Golden Corral? Well, that used to be one of my favorite stomping grounds down in South Florida. On a Sunday, we'd take kids and anybody else with us over there and eat a lot. And you know, Stephen, we invited that gal. She worked so hard. We invited her to come to church on Sunday night. We were having real good services. And I mean, she came, and, and I noticed this guy sitting back away. ways, kind of like he was staring at her. And she come to the altar and I asked for the elders to come and help me pray and all of a sudden this guy's up there laying his hands on this woman and she opened her eyes and saw who it was I could tell she was spooked I said sir I'd appreciate it if you'd just go have a seat when I say elders I'm asking for the ones that are approved in our church to pray with people and I smiled at him he got mad and he stomped out went outside he said something to one of the ladies that was leaving. You know how I was a no good pastor, and and he did. I did not recognize his, his spirituality, and you know, and I didn't know what I was doing, and all this, you know, and uh, Dore Doreen Wortham. She came back in the building, and. Uh, when we were done praying for people, she came up and said, Pastor, I want to tell you what this guy said. And I talked to the young lady, the waitress. I said, what's going on there with this guy? She said, he's been coming in the restaurant every day and like stalking her. And then he'd be outside when she'd get off work. And I said, well, that's that's not going to happen here. And I told him, he came back to church the next time, and I pulled him aside. I I introduced myself. I said, you know what? I was told what you told that lady out in the parking lot. I said, we're no dummies here. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, well, look, I'm going to give you a chance. You can sit and listen and be a part of the service, but you're not to hinder or stalk or scare anybody in this congregation or else you're going to have to leave So we won't put up with that and you know we can't afford to the enemy manifest through the flesh through people but our battle's not with those people it's with the authorities the principalities powers of darkness rulers in high places and such you know that's who our battle really is with. And so, you know, but I didn't mind talking to the people that were controlled by these spirits and let them know, I've got my eyes wide open, and we don't allow this to go on. And, you know, we let them know. You're not going to harm or hinder somebody in our congregation. Anyway, statement three, the accuser attacks us night and day even though he knows he is defeated as he hates God. You know, he's still on the attack even though he knows he's lost. He's just looking for a little bit of a, to where he hurts us a little, see. You know. This is kind of off the subject, but John and Chelsea, they've had the this infestation of mice at their house, so they've been staying at our house for a few days. Well, he and I stayed up late watching the story of Charles Stanley, Yeah, he had it on one of the channels. He was saved in a Pentecostal holiness church. I don't know if y'all knew that. He had uh, an experience in the Holy Ghost, you know, yeah. He was a good, good preacher. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But anyway, that's just a sidebar. That you can be effective speaking the word of God when the Holy Spirit is the ruler of your spirit. And the enemy, he may try to attack. And the reason why I brought that up, because I believe his wife had some mental issues. And they had, you know... It was a struggle in the marriage at a certain point because of those mental issues. Now, you know, we don't want to abandon, abandon our spouses or anything when things like that happen. My dad had was bipolar, and uh, since he was like 30, 32 years old, six months after I was born, I guess I was like the, the raging tornado, you know, that showed up in the house. But uh, he had his breakdown after I was born, and it was years before I ever knew him in a real positive way. And so I suffered through my whole upbringing, my whole growing up years because of that. But the enemy, see, he'd try to attack in any way he can. And, you know, he looks for those weaknesses. Like bipolar, it's manic depression, it's a imbalance of, the dopamine in the brain that goes to all the different places in your mind. Your mind is the extension of your brain, but the brain is where it receives the serotonin and the the dopamine and the different things, you know, uh, those electrolytes and all that that function to cause you to be sane. You know, I tell you what, you can go through some horrible things when you have the sanity with God's Spirit in you that a lot of people can't handle, they can't go through. My mom had the Holy Spirit in her. She was true blue all the way to the end, you know. She suffered many times, you know. At least as a child, I'd I'd leave the house and just go run the streets. I suffered, but I decided I'd go play basketball. Or something like that, or go run around with my friends. But she had to deal with him night and day, right in there. The devil would attack him through that illness. And it is an illness because, though the dopamine, when it gets off, it's like the sap didn't run to the end of the limb. And that limb's somewhat dead, you could say, in some ways. So, and it might stop at a point where there was a memory. And so you think you hear a voice. So he had a little schizophrenia on the side of that too, I think. But he heard voices and he'd say, so-and-so told me this or so-and-so came in my bedroom while I was in my Bible study. He was religiously uh, steadfast about getting up early, reading his Bible. We We got journals upon journals, I mean, stacks of his writings. You know? But not all his thoughts were accurate. And that was the attack of the enemy. And my mom just had to keep her sanity. She kept it by loving her family and going to church and working hard to provide and so on. She enjoyed the family. When she'd come to church here, she'd sit on the back row and watch everybody. She just had such a good time just watching everybody. She'd watch my kids if they got it, went out. She was watching them all the way out, you know, the door. But she loved to go to ball games. She'd want to go see Zach play basketball. Or she didn't always go to the football games, but she'd like going to see Alicia play volleyball. Then it got a little much for her to go see Nick and Chelsea play in high school. But but anyway, that attack against her was through my father. And the attack against my father was against his mind, so he wouldn't minister. See, he was brilliant. He had a genius level IQ, and he could sing Randy above high C and his natural voice. He could sing the bass notes. You know, I don't know how much Ken can remember. Yeah. He he was a world class singer. I mean, he won awards at the Stamps-Baxter Quartet Conventions back in the late 40s, early 50s, right around there. And the Mackinac Quartet was well-known in the region. Uncle Bob sang. He was a few years younger than my dad, and I think he was 14 when he first started singing with them. But, you know, my dad, you know, he could have gone someplace. The devil, because, see, he went to Memphis... I'm just showing you an example. He went to Memphis and sang with a group called the Jolly Boys. And the Jolly Boys were a little too jolly. They sang gospel music as a quartet, but then they went out drinking and whoremongering at night, running around with women. And so my dad was 19 years old. He was just off the cotton farm back home over by the Castor River just, what'd you say, west of Sykeston, out there in the boonies, Bird's Corner, Missouri. I don't know why they called it Bird's Corner, unless birds stopped there on their way somewhere else, but uh, he, you know, after a couple weeks of all that, he had had enough, he got on the bus and went home, and of course from there, he got to preaching and getting into all that, and then he met my mom, and then he introduced Uncle Bob to Ken's mother, Dorothy. And they were two cousins that married two sisters. That's why we're double cousins. And our names aren't Ken and Ken or Kevin and Kevin. You know, It wasn't one of those kind of things where we're too close. <laughs> they were like third cousins, fourth cousins, and, and our moms were sisters. It's funny, we're closer on our mom's side than our dad's side but you know his attack was in a way that caused him not to continue to be effective he led worship for the whole what they call southern missouri district of the assemblies of god he was the premier worship leader so you can see how you know my kids get that that singing I, i was hired to lead worship and lead the school and be youth pastor and I'm telling you what uh, I couldn't even remember the words I had the index cards I had to read to remember words when I led worship but we we got it done but that wasn't my forte you know thank God I could you know have have the on on tune you know I didn't sing off tune but you know it wasn't easy if I'd have played the piano like Randy I probably never have ever preached I'd just be in love with singing and all. But, you know, Satan tries his best to get you to join him. See, I'm telling you, my dad was so talented, he tried to get him in to sing. The Jolly Boys, by the way, were the first group that backed up Elvis Presley. And you don't hear much about it because then the Stamps Quartet became the ones that backed him up and all that. But early on, they were the ones that backed up Elvis Presley. And, of course, my dad got out of that before Elvis ever came along. And so it's kind of interesting to watch all that. But my dad refused to go along with the world. And yet the devil still attacked his mind. He, He just, he was so... He was raised in such a religious, uh, you know, very strict home. My grandpa, wonderful man, Pawpaw Mac, he would have never approved of my dad rolling up his sh- sleeves to this point because he had been showing his arm. That's how strict they, that he was raised. And he was not going to disappoint his dad. My papa was like five foot seven. My dad was six foot three, two hundred thirty, two hundred thirty-five pounds. But yet he would never disobey or disappoint his dad. You know, and it was to such a degree, you know, that if he did cross the line anyway, it was too much for him. You know, he didn't have a lot of grace for himself. And so, you know, the enemy will come where he can and attack. If he can attack you by attacking your children, he'll do that. I can imagine how some people have had to deal with things, you know, if their child had a, a particular uh, learning disability or something. You know, I remember one of the guys that used to attend here years ago, she had two sons One was typical in classroom and all, and the other was uh, autistic. And he struggled, you know. And we had to really work hard to fit that child in our children's church because he reacted in different ways, you know. And, you know, we had workers. That was when Chris Martinez was here overseeing the children's ministry and everything. And they did an admirable job of trying to you know, help in that way. But it wasn't easy. So the enemy will make things hard for you any way that he can, you know. And so, you know, it could be attack on your spouse. It can be attack on your, your bills, your finances. If he can attack you with sickness and cause you not to be able to work and you can't pay your bills. See, there's many ways that the accuser comes in and fights against us night and day. But you you got to remember, we do win in this battle. And God allows you to come under these attacks, and you can pass the test. And when you do, you gain the advantage. You know, Job lost it all, and yet God gave him twice as much in the end. I read that early on, you know, to you. In this series, and he passed the test. God wouldn't allow Satan to attack him to that degree if he didn't think he could pass the test. You know. So, have y'all given in? Have you lost ground? Are you going to pass the test? You know, God wants you to pass the test. Amen. Here's a question for you How do we overcome? against the enemy against him how do we overcome him well first the blood of the lamb causes us to be saved and delivered as jesus removes us from sin and he destroys the power of death over us death does not have power over you that's why you know when you go through things and and not to tell the same old stories all the time but my story is my story and I'm the one speaking so that's the only story I can give you but when I was in that hospital Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis for close to a week and that was before we moved in this building we were in the other building at the time and my arm was swollen up I had strep cellulitis man that's a teaching hospital I'd have 5 to 10 doctors come in and look at me every day all my lymph node areas you know, and I was like, "I couldn't eat. I was throwing up like fifteen times a day, and then it was going out the other end too, but I lost thirty pounds in like five days. My body was toxic, no veins would work anymore. They put a T line right into my heart to get the medicine directly in there and uh I get phone call. My wife bring the phone to me. I couldn't even answer the phone. She'd put it up, and it'd be Brother Sumrall saying, "Look, we're praying for you, Brother Gorman. We're praying for you, Ron Kelly. We're praying for you. All these great men of God were calling me, telling me that they were praying for me. My brother Jerry and others. And you know, I, I could barely, I was barely keep my sanity." But when I got down to that final night, I thought I was going to die. But you know what? He's going to help you pass the test. And so when the enemy comes in and attacks you, I thought it was over. I was ready to go to heaven. Hey, I'd have repented of every sin I knew of that week. Uh, Everything I'd ever done since I was like three years old that I could think of. And so... (laughs) Here I was. And I said, Lord, if it's my time, I'm ready. I got a good insurance policy. My wife will be able to pay all the bills off and have money left over. She's young, though. I was only 48. She was like 44. I said, wait a minute. She's still a good-looking woman. I don't know if I want somebody else to marry her. (laughs) So I made up my mind. I said, wait a minute, Lord. I might be on death's doorstep, but you know what? You can raise me up. I've got faith that I can get out of this hospital. Get me out of this. I I almost shouted it. Get me out of this hospital. 4 a.m. I had a roommate. I called him Wild Bill Hickok. He had long hair, and he'd get out of the bed naked and run around, go to the bathroom, I'd call the nurse and say, Wild well, Bill's running around naked again. You all need to come in here. You know. I don't know why you in a, one of the most expensive hospitals, they got somebody in there with you. You know? He does not need what I got and I don't want what he's got. Man, I was battling. You know. I went in and the bathroom was a mess. I was getting towels and everything. And I could barely walk. I brought my IV stand with me and I was down the floor trying to clean the bathroom floor, trying to clean the toilet and everything. My wife came in and said, what are you doing? I said, honey, I just got to use the bathroom. This thing's a pigsty. I don't know why Bill messed it up or what. I was in there trying to clean the bathroom. I was half dead. She got me back in bed, got the nurses in there. Man, they're flowing this stuff into my heart. And I'm about to see, you know, heaven, you know. I said, but Lord, I really would like to get out of this hospital. (laughs) And the next day I woke up and they come and check my blood. There's five doctors come in there. They said, well, you know what? The medicine's starting to work. We checked your blood. Your white cells are now under 20,000. They were almost to 100,000 or right thereabouts. I mean, it was like the end. And all of a sudden, whoo, I said, all right. He said, there's an ice storm coming. We're going to send you home because we can just give you the medicine. It was the same medicine. See, if it was just the medicine, Dr. Dennis Daniels started me on the me- amoxicillin When I was in the Poplar Bluff Hospital, he sent me there. And then he got me out of there because my arm was swollen. This other surgeon wanted to cut it open and drain it. He said, the last three people that guy did that to, they amputated their limb. He said, I'm not letting them do nothing to you, Pastor. He said, I'm sending you to Barnes. And he got me a bed up there. And so I got put in. I led one guy to the Lord while I was half out of my mind that never heard about Jesus before. And he had renal cancer, and he only had a little short time to live, and I preached to him all the way from revelation, or from Genesis through revelations, and Jesus Christ on the cross and crucified and resurrected. And I said, "Do you want to go to heaven?" And I was talking through the curtain. He said, "Yes. I said, "Pray this prayer with me." And he prayed the prayer with me and got saved. Twenty minutes later, they moved me upstairs to that other room. You know, that was some experience. I'm telling you, I'll never forget it. Nobody, I think, knew really how bad I was because it happened so fast. But when they sent me home, I, I didn't even wait for the wheelchair. I walked out of that place. I got about halfway out of there, and I said, "Man, this is a long way." I had to sit down and rest a while. And then she finally got me in the car, and we left, beat the ice storm, got down to Farmington. I saw the Golden Arches. I said, honey, get me a fish sandwich. I need a fish sandwich. How many of y'all just come out of the hospital and you want a fish sandwich from McDonald's? I hardly ever eat at McDonald's in my right mind. You could lay those french fries on the counter for three or six months and they still look just like they were they got so much preservatives in their food you know but i had to have that fish sandwich that was on a sunday and i finally made it home and i preached the next sunday got up and propped myself on the, the podium and I, pre- I did a lot of things that i probably should have just relaxed a little more but i wasn't going to let the devil get the the benefit of my doubt or anything you know so how do we overcome the blood of the lamb he's he saved us by his blood he destroyed death on our behalf death could not have me if i wasn't if it wasn't my time to go and i did not yield to it A lot of people can yield to death when they shouldn't have. They could have lived if they had believed the word of God, which is the truth. Secondly, the word of our testimony pulls down strongholds and it brings glory to God. You know, the devil will throw it up in your face, Nelson. Things that you did in the past. And it makes you feel horrible because he's the accuser. He's the condemner. But you know what? When you ask Jesus to forgive you, his blood has already been available. That is gone as far as the east is from the west. The devil cannot hold that against you if you have repented of your sin. You might have another sin in a week from now but you can repent of that sin too. You don't have to give the devil an inch because he'll take a mile if you do. But the word of your testimony, the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony is sufficient for you. It really is. Thirdly, loving not our lives unto death as we lay down our agendas and we follow Christ with right convictions. In other words, you don't try to own your life. You give your life to Jesus once and for all. Your way or or the highway is not it. You know, your agenda is not the most important thing. God's agenda is the most important thing. And when he gives you stepping stones, or he orders your steps, you need to follow the way he's showing you to go. Don't say, well, I've done it this way, or I'm going to do it this way. No, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, do it his way, and you'll be victorious. Here's another question. Why does God allow the accuser more time to come at us? Why does he keep letting the devil attack you, Randy? You know, Revelation 12, 12, Says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Man, he, when he comes down, he's, he's going after as many of God's children as he can. But his time is, he knows his time is short. So you know what? You stand in the grace and the mercy of God. You stand on the word of God. Put up your shield of faith. Have that sword of the Spirit in your mouth. Have that helmet of salvation on. Gird your loins with truth. You know, shod your your feet with the peace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You put on the full armor of God and you face that enemy. Don't run from him. He'll stab you in the back. That's the only vulnerable position to a warrior is when they're wide open to the enemy's attack. And that's usually when fear comes. Don't run away from him. Face him with Jesus Christ. First, opposition makes us stronger. And we learn how to fight a smart devil. He's no dummy. He's smart. He knows how to come and attack and try to make you vulnerable. You know, I'm so thankful that we don't have to give in to those feelings. Now, I told you I was a little vulnerable. I want to stand up for the children. But I was standing up to the devil and saying, you cannot have our kids, you know. I didn't lay a hand on the guy, although I would have if I had to. But Matthew, number two, secondly, we learn heaven's strategy to win against the enemy. Heaven's got a strategy, amen? Matthew 8, verse 15 and 16 says, So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. You know, the power of God in Jesus was so great. You know, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and they went to his house, and Jesus touched her, and she got healed. She got him to decided to cook lunch for him, make lunch, you know. God's strategies are always better. The anointing will drive out the enemy. And uh, he healed everybody. Isn't that what it said? And he healed all who were sick. I like those kind of services. I've had some services where everybody we prayed for, the pain left their body. There wasn't one that said, No, I still got pain. And You know, we even got a saying now ever since... One of those revivals down in Brownsville, Texas. Uh, We were going to make a t-shirt out of it. Little pain, you got to go. So We'd pray for people. They were in a lot of pain. Then I'd say, you got any more pain? There's a little. Okay, we're going to pray again. Little pain, you got to go in Jesus' name. And then you say, any pain? Well, no, it's gone. (coughs) Why do we put up with a little pain? Little pain's got to go, too. We make up our mind. Jesus healed them all. He healed all their sicknesses. And he speak the word. And you know that word, W-O-R-D, is logos. In the Greek it means a word of God, a revelation, understanding of what the Father would tell Jesus or us to pray or to say. When you get a word from God, a revelatory word, That's why I love the Holy Spirit. I love to prophesy the Word of the Lord. Because if there's something going on, you know, you get that Word from the Holy Spirit, it's revelation. And then you can take the Rhema Word along with the Logos, and you can speak specifically to that by using the written Word of God. You know, you can say that little pain's got to go. Jesus said in Matthew 8, Jesus healed them all. Yeah. You can say the word of God to back it up. But God, the Father, will tell us by the Holy Spirit what and what Jesus always says. Well, I just do what I see my Father doing. I just say what my Father's told me. I think that's pretty awesome. Anyway, I could get into some other stuff there. I'll stay out of it. (laughs) Mark chapter 9, 16, 17 says, And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. You know, of course, Jesus, He is the Lord, God Almighty. He rebuked that deaf and dumb spirit. And the boy was healed, you know. So, don't let the enemy tell you it's not possible. I love it when the odds seem to be against us in the natural. But God does something spiritual in the supernatural. That is just awesome. You know what, every one of you can be used by the Spirit of God. Don't try to make it too complicated. You know, it's great to take classes. Pastor Ken's one of the good teachers, you know, for the classes. And it's great to get the background and get your understanding. But the evidence really is that it's not that difficult to do the ministry when you really believe. The problem is some people don't really believe. They're hoping so. You know, I heard a sermon a couple times and I re-preached it myself. But you had these brothers. One was called Think So. Well, I think so. Some little Japanese guys. Another one was, well, I hope so. So he was hope so and they had think so. Another one needed to be know so. He knows it. You know, Jesus was enough. Kind of got off the subject there, but it's all right. We got the time. Thirdly, doubt and unbelief doesn't allow you to operate with confidence. And you don't trust in Jesus when you lack your confidence. In other words, if you don't have confidence, you're really not trusting Jesus like you ought to. That, I hope that doesn't sound harsh. How many of you know that you know that you know that you're saved, your sins have been forgiven, and you're a child of God, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Everybody knows that. Say amen. Okay? Well, that's the kind of knowing So, That's the kind of thing where unbelief is not allowed to have room with you. Because if you doubt you lose confidence, you know, and I love it when God shows up in such a way, you know, it's, sometimes in the services that I do in other places, people just stand up and they want it, I had a Cuban man interrupt me in service in South Florida one morning and I was telling about praying and seeing a blind person healed and, and he just stood up and said i want to be healed first time there i can remember his face like it was yesterday he had a crew cut and it was turning gray and i said "Well, what's wrong he looked at me and he said i'm blind in my right eye i've had many now i've lost track i think 28 or 30 people with a blind eye, or both eyes blind, have been healed. But that fella, I said, okay, and I laid my hands on him, prayed, and I'd seen that girl healed in Mexico that I've told you about, the nine-year-old girl. You know, once you believe and you don't doubt it, then you have confidence. And when you have confidence, when you pray... I just have a knowing inside you're going to do it, Lord. And so I prayed, and I said, what do you see? He said, well, not not really anything. I said, well, that's all right. Everybody agreed with me. And I prayed again. I said, now what do you see? He said, I see light. You don't know how many people that I've prayed for with blind eyes that have said the same cotton-picking thing. I mean, they don't see anything, then they see light. So I just expect it now. I've got confidence I'm going to have to speak it three times. Got to that third time, and I said, Lord, heal his eye in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you see? And I said it about like that. He opened his eye, and he said, I see I see your smile. I see your teeth. And you're smiling. Because his head was about right here, and his eyes were right at the level of my mouth. He says, I see your teeth. Man, that's not what I expected to hear. And you're smiling. Of course, everybody went wild, you know. They went crazy over that. And then the altars always fill after one miracle. People run the altar, get healed, saved, filled with spirit, delivered. But you, once you cross that line, I want to challenge everybody here tonight cross the line of unbelief. Into real faith where you know that you know that you know. Just like I ask you, do you know that you're really saved? If you know that, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. You have resurrection power in you. So when something happens, go ahead and pray. Hank was telling me on the phone a few days ago up in Michigan. They saw this gal, and she was hurting at the store. And so he asked her if he could pray for her, and he prayed for her, and the pain left her body. And she wanted to know, where do you all go to church? So she met them at church the next day. I mean, that's how revival really happens. It's not how many tracks you can pass out, although that's fine. It's not how many invitations you give or just invite people to church. When you minister to somebody, they want to know why you're the way you are. And I'll tell you this, Lucia has lots of clients that ask her, where do you go to church? And she'll tell them, many of them have showed up right here. Some of you all know them. And you know what? They always tell her, I didn't, I didn't know the pastor was your husband. You know, so many times, it's funny, you know, but you've got to have your confidence in him. Don't let the devil rob you by getting you in his level, in his realm. Fourth, or Philippians 3:3, 3, 3, let's see that, for we are the circumcision who worship God and the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in the Spirit of God. Because we believe in Jesus. It's not in our flesh. If it was, you know, I remember the days where we used to wear suits and ties and certain shoes. And we had to look a certain way. And and we learned the vernacular. And we learned how to speak Christianese. And... and talk the talk you know but the reality was how much were we really doing it's not in our flesh it's not even in your piano playing Randy oh I love to play the piano like that but you got to be anointed to play like that you said I feel the anointing I could tell you could have gone on for hours yeah one day we can we'll just let it fly and I'm here to tell you, in number four, we must confess and repent to gain our confidence. The kakal, the which means to trust in the anointing. The anointing is your marking. Trust in your anointing. Trust in what you're marked to do. You know, Danielle, she makes the fellowship hall look nice, or she has something... I go to her house, it all looks, doesn't all, all, only taste good, but it looks good. She knows how to present her food. She can do so many neat things. She's talented for that. That's not me, and I'm just going to take it off the grill, put it on any more plate, and we're going to take it in there, and everybody just grab it neat. It won't, it'll smell good, but it might not look as good as she makes it. Everybody's gifted in different ways. It doesn't mean I wouldn't care. Sometimes it might seem like I don't care about certain things, because in reality, in my finite thinking, I don't care that much, but when I see it, it's really nice. you know. And I notice other people see it, other people think it's really nice. So you know what, it's good. Everybody's got their giftings. So, each of you got your giftings. I'm going a little long here, aren't I? But we overcome specific lies of the enemy. Pastor Ken, you ready to read? Let's do these. We'll do some popcorn points here real quickly. Number one, you're going to get sick and die. That's a lie of the enemy. What's the truth? Do not be afraid of
1: sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Amen. Amen. For the Lord will be your confidence and will yes. keep your foot from being caught.
0: Amen. Don't listen to that lithe enemy. You're going to get sick and die. Second, you're unstable and you have no future.
1: Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit.
0: Amen. You don't have to be afraid of your future. God's got everything under control. Third, the enemy's lie. God's not available, and he doesn't even care. In whom we have boldness
1: and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory.
0: Amen. He does care. he brings bring you through every tribulation. Number four, God won't help you in your time of need.
1: Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what? All you
0: got to do is come before his throne and he'll help you. It's that simple. But the devil wants to make you think you're not good enough. He's not going to help you. He doesn't love you that much. Number five, you'll never change, you sinner.
1: Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way through which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his faith. Wow. And having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water.
0: And he doesn't hold anything against you if you come to him with honesty and you're humble. Mm-hmm. Six, you can't make it, so why don't you just quit?
1: Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more worse... Punishment, do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, Mm. counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the Mm -hmm. living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise.
0: Sometimes, people, you get so far, and you get so close to your breakthrough, and the enemy wants you to give up. Those scriptures show you that you can't afford to give up. You have to realize who's with you and who's paid the price for you. So don't ever quit. No matter how hard it is or how badly you may have stumbled, God will help you make it through. Number seven, you're, you're alone and God has abandoned you. So we may boldly
1: say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me?
0: He is with you. Even through fear, he is with you He's not going to abandon you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you until the very end. Amen? And eight, God doesn't love you, so why don't you just let fear control you? And we have known and believed the love that
1: God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Amen. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love.
0: Aren't you glad that God loves you? And his love gets rid of fear. If you'll just embrace it, you know, when I see my grandkids and they see me and they call Papa and if they want to give me a hug or want me to pick them up, you know, there's no fear. Perfect love cast out fear. Or when they see their daddies or their mommies, you know, and they get picked up, everything becomes all right. Well, God is your father. He's your Papa, and he'll take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. No matter what you face or go through, don't listen to your enemy. Amen? Amen. Stand with me.